Good morning, good morning, good morning. Hey, keep finishing up your conversations, making your way towards your chairs. So excited to be with you guys today. Man, just as Jonathan said in the announcements, if this is your first time with us, or you've been coming for a long time, we are really glad that you're here. My name is John. I serve as pastor here at the Springs. Welcome. Excited to, to, to kick it off this morning with you guys as we continue working our way through this amazing letter, this amazing book with this beautiful story that we're going to talk about today. And how it's a story how if you and I lean in, if we get this, it changes everything. But before we do that, let's start. Just join me in prayer. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the privilege that we have to gather, to come and remind ourselves of what is good, of what is right, and of what is true. Lord, I pray for folks who are here and, man, they, they wrestle with you. They don't like you. They don't trust you. They grew up around people that dragged your name through the mud. You would change hearts in a way that only you can. The person who thinks they don't know you, may they come to see you as essential. The person who thinks that they just don't need you because life's good enough, may they come to see you as abundance and the best gift giver in all eternity, would you remind the folks who do know you of that truth? You haven't come to rip us off. You came to set us free. You, you came that we may have life and we may have it abundantly. And Father, that's what we're after this morning, the truth of how you are better, that no matter what in this life, you are better. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, y'all welcome, man. Again, we're glad you're here. I was in a conversation recently, and I can imagine you do this. You get around folks and you start to talk about, well, hey, if I had a little bit more money, here's what I'd do. It's like the realistic version of when someone comes and asks you, what would you do if you won the lottery, right? You ever play that game where if you're Christian, you're supposed to say like, well, I'd obviously give away half, right? I'm very generous and I'd just keep the remaining 47 million to myself, right? It's kind of like the realistic version of like, okay, so what if you had an extra 200 bucks, Right? Or what, what if you had an extra 300? Because it builds this sense of excitement because you're always looking forward to what could be that next stage. I get that next car. Maybe we get a different house. Maybe I could go to a different school. We're always looking forward to that next thing. I can remember feeling that excitement really about one thing in particular in my life, that sensation of what comes next. It was my wedding day. Right? My wedding day, my wife Taylor we have been married. I know we're about to write a marriage book right now. We've been married five years. It's amazing, right? All the married couples are like, that's terrible. That's just embarrassing. Honey, why did we come to church here? Why are we here, right? Well, hey, welcome. We're going to teach from the Bible. That's why you're here, right? But I can remember, man, we've been married five years, and I was looking back on it because it was just recent and thinking about it. We dated for two years, right? And dating was great, but we, like every couple, man, we had ups and downs, highs and lows, but I can remember that came the moment, hey, will you marry me, right? Dropped on knee, she gets excited, says yes. We were so excited for it. It was like, how fast can we do this? Three and a half months, y'all. I'm telling you, three and a half months. It was all we needed. If you need more, go for it. Three and a half months. Why? We were so excited. I was looking forward to it. There was this anticipation. There was this hope. There's this woman I love. Can't wait for the big day. You plan for it. You got DJs and food and receptions, and you got to get an officiant, and you got to dance. I can remember putting a lot of time and energy into a dance, right? I, I picked all the songs. It was a great party. Sorry you missed it, right? I can remember playing this whole thing. The day comes. It's the night before you do the rehearsal dinner, 
right? You come and you eat this huge meal and a bunch of my friends like make inappropriate jokes about me and I'm like, this isn't funny, yet they think it's hilarious. Everyone says sweet things about my wife-to-be. The day comes, right? We got married early in the morning. It's like 11.30, right? We come, Taylor, she got up early to, to get ready to prepare herself. I slept till nine, right? We come to get ready. I put on my suit. I'm still ready and you're there like two hours early, and you're just sitting there, but you're looking forward to it. The service comes. Like, I walk down the aisle. I'm waiting for her. She walks down the aisle. It's a beautiful moment. Like, you've seen romantic comedies. You've been there, right? Some of you, you pray for it. You've been it. You've lived it. All of that. Have this beautiful party afterwards where you have to take way too many photos in between. Ate a bunch of food. I can remember this fancy car comes to pick us up as we walk through, like, sparklers, and it was, like, nervously hot underneath all these sparklers. (laughs) We get in the car, we drive, because we were in Dallas at this time, downtown Dallas. We come to this nice hotel downtown, right? And then, hey, here's, here's the reality. I just got married, and here's what's right for me to say. We're not going to talk about this part. But then the privilege of what married couples do, right? And that evening comes, and then we fall asleep, and the next day, right? The next morning, I can remember there, man, there's this whole buildup, this whole excitement, looking forward to my wife, this one, this union. I, I've been known, okay, you pray for who is your master in life, Jesus Christ? Who is your mate in life? Okay, that's Taylor, mine. I remember waking up that morning. We packed our bags because we were going on a honeymoon. Packed our bags. We go downstairs. It's a nice hotel. So it's not like Breakfast comes with it, but like, I just got married. I don't care. I'll pay $24, right? And we go to get breakfast, and we sit there, and I'm newly married. And I wanted to, but we sat there, and I remember opening my Bible. She's opening hers, and we just started reading. And y'all, here's, what, here's, here's two thoughts that came to my head. First thought was this. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. First thought. Huh. That's it. Yeah, seriously. That's it. All right. Whole lot of planning. Whole lot of prayer. I'm married. Okay. Right? Seriously, I know there's kind of like that awkward comedic truth, but here's what was real. There was this amazing excitement for marriage and everything that it contained, and my wife and the joy of it, but there was still, at the end of it, I was incomplete. I was not satisfied like the thing, like this Everest that I just couldn't wait for and I was looking forward to, it had come and it had gone and there was still this like gnawing hole in me. Second thought, true. Second thought that came to my head. My only hope is Jesus. My only hope is Jesus. Does that mean I didn't have an amazing time? No, Does that mean that there aren't other things in my life that I still recreate that with, where where I can remember there was marriage, and then, okay, let's get in the home, and there's the next thing, and then when do you go to buy a home? And you're so excited for your first home, and then the privilege of kids, and then that's where you you talk with folks, and it's the theme, okay, well, if I can just get to this job, right, or if I can just get to this point in my career, if I can just have this many kids by this age, if the house could be paid off, if we could be debt-free, if I could pay for kids to go to college, and we just build this excitement towards what's next, what's next, what's next, because we're hoping it's better than what we have. And man, those are good things. I'm not knocking any of those things in particular, but it showed this betrayal in my heart where what was true is my only hope is Jesus. The reason I share that, guys, 
is where we are in this text. Here's what Jesus is going to tell you, and he's going to tell me, and he's going to do it through a follower of his by the name of Paul. He's going to say this, up against anything in your life, even, even good things. It doesn't just have to be like bad, wicked, or sinful stuff. Even up against good things, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. That's why so many times, like if you're here and, and you don't believe in Jesus, here's what should never surprise me or surprise a, a follower of Jesus. That when non-believers go and try and find fulfillment in everything that this world says you'll be fulfilled by, when they go and try and find it by, man, if I just had the boyfriend, then I'd finally be happy. Nope. Man, if I could just get married, then I'd finally be happy. Nope. Hey, if I could just make six figures, then I'd be happy. Hey, if I could just, as Dave Ramsey says, contribute 15% towards my retirement, then I'd feel a sense of security on the inside, and then I could be happy. Nope. If I could have this many kids, if I could live in this neighborhood, if I could have this job, it shouldn't surprise us when folks pursue those things to try to find life. But it should surprise us when I still try to pursue those things to find life. When we, church, pursue those things to still find life. Why? Not that those things are inherently bad. But Jesus is always better. I'm so excited for today because it's completely, as every Sunday, it is self-preaching. So church, this is for us. Where we're going to be is Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 21, kind of recap that. My, my buddy Garrison, he taught that last week. We're going to kind of recap that a little bit, and then we're going to go through verse 26, again, of Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at just two ideas. How at the start of this, you see in the Apostle Paul, just this Bible teacher, you see this tension in him. He had this tension of, should I stay or should I go? Second thing that we're going to see is Paul, and the Holy Spirit leads him there, but it's almost like, and he did it through writing, but it'd be like if he like verbally processed his way there. You see him land in the next point. I should stay so that others may go. Why? Jesus is better. To remind you guys of what's going on in Philippians, right? Paul, he's writing this letter to these friends of this church he'd help establish He's writing it from a prison cell. They're worried about him. And he's writing to them to say, it does not matter what difficulty you face in life. Jesus is better. He uses this amazing theme in verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's the summary theme of the entire book of Philippians. I'd argue that once you're a follower of Christ, it's a summary theme of your entire New Testament. It's this beautiful calling. Jesus is better. And what we're going to see today is because Jesus is better, we're going to see Paul had this tension. And then we're going to see how he, and then really how we, by God's spirit, resolve it. So if you got a Bible, turn with me to chapter 1. I'm going to get a quick sip of water, but chapter 1, we're going to read 21 through, we'll go 24. The Apostle Paul, authored by God. Verse 21. This is recapping last week. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is is gain. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. If you want to learn that, go listen to my, my buddy Garrison from last week. 
but it's this theme of where Paul's saying, it's a win-win in life. As I sit in this prison cell, kill me. I'll go and see Jesus. I win. Let me live. I will strengthen his church. I win. The only reason Paul could say that is because the depth of his heart, there was a truth that, man, I'm going all in on Christ in life or in death. That's where he starts, verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Guys, as we just remind ourselves this truth, Jesus is better. The Apostle Paul, we get to almost glimpse into his heart, like the tension of his soul, where his tension, he's sitting in this place of, should I stay or should I go? Should I stay or should I go? And what he's talking about there, should I stay, is he's really wrestling with, I I know that to live in this life, it's fruitful labor. It's necessary on their account to strengthen God's church. And we'll talk about that. But what does he long for? He longs in a healthy way for death. Because it's in death, he'll get to meet the one that he no longer walks by faith, he sees by sight. The one who'd forgiven of his sins, forgiven me of mine. The one who brings peace. Then in his presence, there's fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where there's no longer the tension of his soul and his flesh, his body of, this is what Christ would have me do, but honestly, I want to do this. He'd be free of that. You see this tension? Should I stay or should I go? If not, let me show it to you from the text. Starting in 22. If I'm to live in the flesh, Paul's saying, hey, if I'm going to stay in this body, He's literally in prison, right, under guard where he's awaiting trial. At the end of this trial, he could be executed. He's talking about, if they don't kill me, here's what I'm going to do. That means fruitful labor for me. This is a word, Paul uses the same word fruitful in the book of Romans. It, it means essentially, the word we use is discipleship, right? Discipleship is just helping yourself and helping others become like Jesus. This word, it specifically means winning people to Christ, leading folks to Christ, being an evangelist. And then also carries the theme of you don't just help people come to love Jesus. You help people because they love Jesus. Live for Jesus. That's why as Christians, this is this amazing faith where you don't have to be a different version of yourself. Like what's your problems? What's your baggage? Like, really, think about your life. You don't have to come and clean yourself up to have a relationship with God. You don't have to come and fix your problems to go to heaven. You have to believe that you have problems. You have to believe that you are a sinner. But what did he do? Instead of making you and me work like slaves to be better versions of ourselves, he sent his son who he came down and he died for all the brokenness in my life, my baggage and my pain. And all he asks as he rose from the grave is believe. That's this amazing thing. And Paul's saying fruitful labor is giving my life to that cause. He goes on and you see the tension. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. Here's what, Paul's using a euphemism here. What Paul is not saying is he has the sovereign choice of if he lives or if he dies. 
It's like he's just talking like, man, I don't even know. Like, if I could, which one? And he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. The word, the, the word picture for hard-pressed here, it's literally like there's a massive rock face on your right, a massive rock face on your left, and you're pressed between the two, not knowing which direction to go. Why? He wants his faithfulness to strengthen God's church. Why? God loves his church. If you're here, he loves you. But he can't wait to see Jesus face to face. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire, that's his, his yearning, his longing, it's to part and be with Christ, for that is far better. Like one of the things that we do all the time, I can do this, is like a bucket list. You know where you will never regret not doing something on your bucket list? Heaven. You will never have a sense in heaven of Man, I really wish I'd climbed that mountain. Man, I really wish I would have jumped out on that. Why? Because in heaven, there's no lack. There's no necessity. There's no regret. It's just better. And that's where he says it is far better. Jesus is better. Jesus is in heaven. And then he says this, but to remain in the flesh. That means to stay in this life, like to live this life out. But to remain in the flesh, it's more necessary on your account. The tension in Paul is, I want to go to heaven because it's far better, but it's more necessary to stay on your account. Guys, I was really convicted and excited reading this because you have to see in Paul, again, this tension, this two different ambitions that are together but seemingly competing of I want to go and be with my king. Yet he sent me to serve his people. And so while I, I know I need to stay and serve his people, I want to go and be with my king. Like as I thought about that, what that's crazy, is that, that pulling tension, that's far too often not the tension that I have. I think that's far too often, often not the tension that we have. Let me give you an example. Like tensions that I can feel. If Paul's wrestling with, be faithful and make disciples or go and be with Jesus in heaven. Those are those two pulling things in his life. The tensions that, that I think we can tend to have, right, are, hey, I really am thinking through my finances and how I examine debt and generosity in my life. But man, if I'm honest, I really want this. You pick it. Boat car, purse, house, vacation, whatever. Well, we have these two tensions. And I'm not even saying there's something inherently wrong not to wrestle in there. But that's our tensions. Like Paul's tensions are up here. Mine come down here where I, where I start to think about the tension of, man, I, I really want to connect and spend time with God and his word, yet I love sleeping in. No, no, I, I know that if I repurpose some of my free time that if I change, if I just cut back Netflix or cable or, or the news by 25% and I redirected that, but man, I just can't. Like I, I, I know that I should be discipling my family. I want that, I desire that. But then we feel this tension of, like insecurity of, but we're not really enough. We don't have all the answers, that our faith could grow. And we sit with this tension of, 
you know what? I can finally be God's man or God's woman once I reach a certain level. That's like the tension I think a lot of us wrestle with. And Paul's leaving behind all of that. Why? Because his tension was win-win. Ours can be win-loss. His tension was win-win because in every scenario, on this side and on this, he saw Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And I bet there were days where Paul just didn't overflow with the love of Jesus Christ, but he chose it. And he disciplined himself for the purpose of godliness, and he fought for the privilege of that holy tension. I want to go, but I need to stay. I grew up in a culturally Christian home. What I mean by that is like we went to church, but there wasn't really much forms of discipleship or faith or anything like that that was really involved in the family. About the time I was 12, my dad, he went on a men's retreat. Anybody here ever heard of a walk to Emmaus with the Methodist church? Right? He went on this men's retreat. They go away. They get away. My dad's doing it. I think it was on like a finance committee, so he's kind of expected to go. So he goes on this retreat, and there's this evening. It's just a weekend thing. There's this evening where all the men come, and they're supposed to go up to the front, and they're supposed to kneel and pray. And my dad, bless him, right? He's sitting there. He's immediately thinking, this is kind of weird. I don't quite know what I'm supposed to do here. Right, he's looking around the room because there's people up towards the front because they kind of have this little altar set up, he told me. There's folks like laying on the ground, like laying on the ground praying. That seems pretty spiritual. And it went through my dad's head. He's like, if I get on the ground, I'm not gonna be able to get back up, right? Like that's what's going through his head. And then he kind of spots this section somewhere towards the center and people are like kneeling. They're doing like the Tim Tebow prayer type thing. And so he walks up and he sees this, but he sees the center section. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll go and I'll kneel, but the way I'll be different, the way I'll show my faith is I will touch the cross. There was this cross right before that, right in the center of this altar. So my dad goes up almost with this sense of trying to show. He goes up, he kneels, and he touches the cross. It's in that moment, right? It's in that moment my dad sees a picture of Jesus Christ that he has a moment where he sees Christ and in this, and he'd never had this before. And my dad is the farthest thing, uh, thinking through my thoughtful word language on this one. <laughs> my dad is the farthest thing from inappropriately using supernatural power of God for mysticism, for the purposes of advancing emotional gain. That felt pretty politically correct, right? That, he wouldn't even know that word existed. He didn't even know that. So he goes and he has this and he sees this vision of Christ. Christ hugs him. And my dad in this moment, he said it felt like minutes went by. I don't know how long he sat there. But he wept. And he said he had two things that went through his head. He did not want to leave. He wanted to stay. But then eventually he said it crept into his mind. He knew about my mom, my sister, and me. And he said he had this deep guilt because he knew he was supposed to come back, but he didn't want to. Now, I don't think Jesus gives any guilt like that. What's amazing, though, is my dad felt tension. My dad felt, I want to go, but it is necessary. I asked my dad about that recently. 
And he said he fights to never lose that tension. He said, I think about that weekly. Just the reality of it's going to be better. Yet while I'm here, I'm living in tension. Should I stay? Should I go? Church, that's the desire that Christ wants for you and he wants for me. Why? Because he's better. And everything in life that we try to measure up against, that we kind of hold in balance, he says, I am better. I'm not coming to tell you that, to jam that down your throat. No, Jesus is coming to like set you free and saying you're trying to find it here. It won't work. Through the relationship that you know is broken, you need to say no to, it's not going to work. Through chasing a promotion at work or a certain level of financial status, and you can hide behind any Christianese you want, it won't satisfy. Through trying to find life in your physical appearance, through trying to find life in your friend group and what other people think of you, through trying to find life in the future success of your kids as you live vicariously through them. Jesus is better. So guys, how do we do that? Right, as Paul, he's talking about this first part and he's setting it up for the second. I think the way we do this is you cannot love what you don't know. Like you can love from far off, like you can be a fan of. Right, you guys ever heard the phrase, don't meet your heroes? Because when you get up to them, when you actually get to know them, they're human, they're broken, they're a letdown. The only person that doesn't happen with is King God. You have to get to know him. For some of you, what that looks like is setting a reminder every day on your phone for just the next week. And when it goes off, praying, would you help me to love you so that I can live for you? For some of you, you love that, but there's this next step and what's keeping you from growing in this tension is insecurity. The fear of, well, I'm not good enough or I can't or does God really or I'll just mess it up. Your next step is going to a group of Christians who love you. If you're in community here, be a community group and saying, my life doesn't really live for Christ. I know I love him. I know I live for him, but really the way Paul's talking about it, there's this noticeable gap. Hey guys, insecurity can't keep me there and we press on. Why? The abundant life has tension. Should I stay? Should I go? Because Jesus is better. And we've already seen Paul start to do it, but what he's going to do in the rest of the text is he's going to begin to resolve as the Holy Spirit's leading him, and like, it's almost like he's like having a conversation where he's like, well, I don't know this or this, but, but then oh, it's more necessary, so you know what? Their needs over my wants, let's go. And that's where we pick it up again. So if you have a Bible or you can read it up on the screen, jump back in with me to verse 25. Convinced of this, what Paul's saying, he's convinced that he's going to live. We'll talk about it in a second. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and join the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. I love this, right? Where Paul was, it's just in the reality of, hey, Jesus is better. We saw this insight into his heart of, okay, hey, should I stay or should I go? And now you see Paul step into this next stage where he says, I should stay so that others may go. It's literally the same heart that Jesus Christ had. 
Stay tuned, Philippians chapter 2, the start of it. I should stay so that others may go. You see this right there in verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. He starts out convinced of this. What Paul's saying is, hey, I'm confident, right? Paul's saying, I don't think I'm going to die in this Roman prison cell under house arrest. I don't think I'm going to die here. Paul didn't. He gets freed. And then Paul says, and hey, once I am free, here's why I think I'll be freed. So that I can continue with you all. What does Paul want to give his life to? If he does not get the privilege of seeing Christ face to face, what does he essentially, the tension of his heart, what does he settle for? For your progress and joy in the faith. Paul says, I should stay so that you can go. This word progress, it's the second time we've seen this in chapter one. It, it, it's translated earlier as advancement. The word picture for it, it's like a like trailblazer. It's the person who goes out before the army, blazes the trail so that the army can then come behind. Paul's saying, I'm going to stay, and you know what I'll be? I will blaze the trail. Why? For you, for you, for you, for me. That there's an army of God that wants to grow in advance. His kingdom come. And while he's here, he wants to be a servant of that. And you see this beautiful picture of what happens when you and I grow in that type of faithfulness, that progression that that can start with, for some, an actual love of Christ, not just a cultural understanding of something you always went to week after week after week after week. That's a boring habit. This is a relationship with the true God. It can start there, but then where it can go for others is Paul wants to stay to where if you can almost imagine, Paul wants to stay and help people progress and advance the kingdom of God in their own lives. Like like the couple who's dating that's struggling with sexual purity, Paul wants to come and sit with them, disciple them, and this is the way that it goes. This is the way to trust Christ. It's a better life, believe me. Like the young student in high school that's trying to find validation through what other people think of them, and they try to do it online in all the broken ways. The Apostle Paul wants to stay and plead with students and say, no, 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 Jesus is better. Trust me, set that aside. Jesus is better. The family who knows that their finances, it's a house of cards. But there's like this shame or like some guilt. Paul wants to come and extend the same grace that Jesus Christ had given them and say, no, 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 I'll help you. How do we help? The church always helps. How do we help? the family grieving the loss of a loved one that's just crippling. Paul wants to come and say, grief is real and we mourn. Yet we do not mourn without hope. You see, he wants to progress. He wants to sit down with people when they come and they say, man, I can't get anything out of my Bible. Like I come to to read this and I take nothing away. He wants to come and say, okay, okay, I wrote this part, turn here. I know the author's intent, right? Like it's funny to think about But really, he wants to sit there and say, no, hey, read this. What do you think it says? What do you think that means about Jesus? What do you think that means for you? Okay, how do we do it? Is that it? That's it, buddy. Now we go be faithful. Okay. Progress. And every time there's progression, 
what happens, I love this progression and joy, is you and I grow in faith. You know what we get? Joy. Guys, the abundant life awaits. Like the abundant life of a love and a joy and a peace and a satisfaction in Christ you can't find elsewhere. It awaits. And Paul knew the path was Jesus is better. But if I am to stay, I will give my life that others may go. This does not matter, whatever your vocation is. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is your purpose, your mission, and your meaning in life. There will be a direct correlation between your joy and your heart submitting, my heart submitting to this call. And I love where it goes next to verse 26. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. I love that. Paul's saying, hey, part of the reason I'm going to live is so that because of my influence and my role in your life, you will glory in Jesus Christ for the fact he gave me as a gift to you. And then Paul's saying, hey, I'm gonna come see you again, right? He's telling that. You gotta remember, this is like, um, I was told that this isn't factually proven or true, but I still think it's true. Like the story of Babe Ruth, when he pointed the outfield, right? Uh, Left field, sorry, I had to think about that. Right, when he pointed that and he hits that homer out of it, he called his shot and then he took it. Paul called a shot. But what I love here too is there's no like false pastoral humility. Paul's saying, I'm going to live my life so that when I come to you for your progression and joy in faith, you will have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my influence. Do you think Paul was full of himself? No, he was yielded to the Holy Spirit and he knew, I will come that you may go, that you may grow. Guys, I think this is amazing because how many of us, like the Christian life, the Christian life is believed, do our best to, to perhaps pray at meals, right? And I love all these things, but come to church, check a box, know not to take some crazy moral outlying decision, but kind of stay in the lane, come to church, try and pray, not make some crazy moral outlying decision, come to church, sometimes pray. That was not Paul's relationship with Jesus. His relationship with Jesus was, I don't care if I'm in a classroom, I don't care if I'm at home discipling a family, I don't care if I'm in a boardroom, I don't care if I'm in a, an emergency room, I don't care if I'm in a camp, I don't care if I'm on staff at a local church. I don't care if I'm a student in high school. I don't care if I'm in college and I'm supposed to have this social experience. I don't care where I am. Jesus is better. I'm going all in. Job one. I want to love Christ and then help others because they love Christ to live for him. That was the only thing he wanted to be about. And then what does that do? Not only does that lead to joy for you and me, but man, it's so others can glory for Christ on our behalf. This past week, I went up to Dallas and I saw an old boss of mine, great guy. He was my first boss when I came and I stepped into pastoral ministry, great guy. Really, over time, he became my friend. You'd call him a mentor, you'd call him all that. I can remember when I was dating Taylor, him praying and talking with me about sexual integrity. 
I can remember sharing my story and talking about the stranglehold that it felt like pornography had had in my life for years. How I tried to find validation by just getting drunk and checking out and finding girls. I can remember right before we got married, him coming and talking with me about the privilege of marriage and the role that I'm called to play. I can remember not long into marriage, Taylor coming and saying to me, hey, John, you keep coming home tired. You keep coming home tired. And him coming to me and saying, you're called to love her as Christ loves the church. Do you ever get Jesus's leftover emotional energy or do you get his best? I was done there. I can remember him coming and instructing me on a biblical view of children because I had this cultural mindset, I need to make more money, I need to pay down a house, and I'd like to travel for a couple years. That's not in your Bible. I can remember him instructing me that children are a gift. I can remember when my daughter was born, she was sick. Him being there as she was whisked from one hospital to another to go undergo an emergency surgery, and a doctor came in, and the whole theme was she will probably die. And I can remember him pleading with me for my daughter's life. I can remember time later him celebrating when my daughter came home and she was fine, rejoicing in the goodness of God. I can remember him fighting with me to think through John. Freedom comes when you just live for an audience of one. Jesus is better. So if he is basically the best, make him your North Star. He evaluates everything, actions and attitudes. He's the only one that you should care for. And as you do that, I become much better at caring for people around me. I can remember him praying for me on wisdom of, what job do I do? What does that look like? How do I do all this? He was a friend. He was a boss. He was a mentor. But you know what he was for me? He gave me ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus that God was so kind to send someone like that to help me because I need a lot of help. I share that because so do you. Here's the other thing though, right? I had the privilege of receiving that, but here's the other thing. God doesn't want it to stop there. God wants you and I to be able to turn around and say for his glory and the good of others and our joy, who Who has cause to glory for you in their life? Like who can stop and say, God, thank you for entrusting, for sharing, for sending, for gifting them to me. They've added to my progression. They've added to my joy. Thank you. If if you're married, this should start with your spouse. I know for so many, that's so hard. We'll help you. If you have a family, This should then go with your children. If you're in a community group, that's where it should go after that. Who's your downline? Like honestly, so many things that keep Christians from this view of who they can disciple is this insecurity of, well, I don't really have it all together. Okay, tell them that. Lead with it. Fum your way through it. Pursue Christ. He's better. You'll be fine. We'll help you. Here's why. Your mission in life, because you're going to stay, you stay so that others can go. Why? In every area, Jesus is better.
guys, we've walked through Philippians 1, 21 through 26. We talked about just the reality, how in our life we try to fight for this tension, but it, it, it competes with the wrong things. It competes with things that it shouldn't, and we have to fight to remember Jesus is better. We saw the tension in Paul's heart. We saw him, him walk through the reality of, should I stay and make disciples, or should I go? It's more necessary, but it's far better. And we talked about how you can't love what you don't know. And you must get to know the one you love if you long for it to be far better. After that, we talked about, okay, well, where does it go then while we're here? Since we're going to stay, we stay so that others can go. That we pour our life out. I can't wait for where this book goes. We pour our life out as a drink offering. And it's there. You help others progress, and as you do that, you progress. You help others grow in joy, and as you do that, you grow in joy. Why? Jesus is better. I referenced at the beginning, and I'll close with this. One of the things I was thinking about recently as I shared kind of that next thing, that next thing, was having the conversation of, well, hey, if I had a little extra money, here's what I do. If I had a little extra money, here's what I do. I don't think that theme isn't common to every single person in here, regardless of your financial income or your wealth. If I had a little extra, here's what I do. I think we can all begin to play those games in our head. Where if it was 300 or 500 or 1500 or 5000, it doesn't matter. We can begin to play those games in our head. And I start to go through, yesterday I was even a part of the conversation with some friends. Well, hey, here's what, what would you do? What would it look like? How would it go? I started thinking through, well, man, I'd love to go and take this vacation, or I'd love to go and do that, right? I can imagine you'd love it if you had the chance with a little more income to take another vacation, right? To go with just your friends on like this trip out, or, or your wife and your family, like a little bit more. You'd love that too. I started thinking through, well, hey, if I had a little bit more, hey, here's what I'd spend that on. For me, I'd build a patio in my backyard. I have a I call it a pool. Other people make fun of me. It's a, technically a horse trough or stock tank, right? But I put my stock tank on it, man. I'd set that up the way I'd go, right? I'd switch, maybe get a different car. I'd do all this stuff, and my mind just starts going. Or, or if I made a little bit more, and these are not even bad things, guys. Or if I made a little bit more, man, it'd be such a privilege if I could just cover, Lord will in the future, but if, if I could just cover all of college, I bet you sit here, and if you have kids, or if you pray for kids one day, you'd like to be able to do that too. God loves giving good gifts. We love being an extension of that and giving good gifts. Yet I bet many of us, that maybe is not a reality, and that's okay. But I can remember I just started getting there, and my heart just started getting wrapped around this axle as I started to think of all these different things in life, and they started out not even that bad of things. All these different things in life, man, it'd be nice, man, it'd be better, man, it'd be nice, man, it'd be better. I knew I was coming to teach this. Last night in my bed, I laid there for just shy of two hours, thinking through all the different things and different ways I could make the money or how I'd spend the money. And I woke up this morning consumed with how I can make the money or how I would spend the money. Here's what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with making a little extra money. Fear God, steward it well. There's nothing wrong with going and getting a car or a house or a vacation. That's not what I'm talking about. There's nothing wrong with being able to pay for college or not pay for college. God's sovereign. He is your emergency fund. Trust in 
him, but there was something that was wrong. As I sat there and I started to think about my daughter, Lily, two and a half, and thinking through, man, it'd be nice. I was a trust fund baby. I totally was privileged. Totally. I'd love to extend that gift onto her. And I sat there and I thought, you know, if it happens, great. But here's what God absolutely wants. God wants Lily to grow up with a daddy that lives in attention. God wants Lily, he wants your kids, he wants you to live with attention. And while there's nothing wrong necessarily with any of those things, the attention he wants my daughter to see in her daddy is my dad cannot wait to meet Jesus. That he really believes Jesus is true. That he really thinks Jesus saved his life, forgave him of his sin, and it's the greatest thing he could ever share with somebody. My daddy can't wait to be with Jesus. And then she needs to see in me the tension. But while my daddy's here, while my daddy still has breath, my daddy has one job, and it's to help other people love him and follow him. And you know what's not guaranteed? That has nothing to do with vocational ministry. If I ever transition out of this job and I go do something else, flip burgers, go try and become a nurse or whatever, I got the same job. That's what I need to give her. Is it great if I could take her to Disney? Sure, that's great. That's great. Is it great if we could buy some stuff? Sure, that's great. Is it great if we could pay for college? Sure, that's great. But here's what's true. Jesus is totally better than all of that. And if I put my time and my energy into that, you know what I'm not living in? The tension. He's better. He's better than all of it. I want to be that type of follower. Jesus wants you to be that type of follower. We must be that type of church. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the the gift of the reminder of your word, just how you're better. Father, I am so forgetful. I'm so forgetful. But Lord, would you help us to remember? Would you help us to live in a tension that you're better, but to stay here is necessary? May we just embrace the tension or take a step towards it. And then Father, while we're here, May we invest in people. May we make disciples. May we go and teach others to obey all that you have commanded. We need your help to do that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, hey, thank y'all for coming. If you haven't have any questions at the end of this, or if you're wondering, like, man, that's a different way to view Jesus, or my face different, man, don't leave without turning to somebody and asking, are you a follower of Jesus? If they say yes, right? then say, can you help me understand what that means? If there's confusion, come find me. But man, it's a privilege being with y'all. Y'all go, have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week in the gym.